If you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We started this sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount back at the beginning of May, and it has been an incredibly challenging sermon series. I know that in my own life I've been impacted over the last several months by digging into this sermon from Jesus. I've been encouraged, I've been rebuked, and I know that some of you have as well. In this study, we have looked at the Beatitudes, the kind of people that we ought to be, bankrupt and broken, yielded and yearning, reconciling and uh, being, uh, bringing relief of removing things from our lives that are keeping us from impurity, of rejoicing in the face of persecution. We, we talked about the fact that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We we talked about how we are not supposed to have lust in our hearts and this inward hatred towards other people. We are to keep our commitments to our marriage vows. We, We need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We need to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We're to be a people who give generously without seeking recognition from others around us, but who seek the Lord through prayerful uh, faithfulness and through humble fasting. We are to be careful about how we treat other people in that uh, we we first remove the log from our own eye before we consider uh, removing the speck from our brother's eye. This has been an incredibly challenging last few months as we've gone through this study, this powerful sermon that Jesus gives here. My prayer throughout all of this for myself, for you, for the church, is that we would be pulled out of the mentality that we might have of mediocre mediocre Christianity and lukewarm living and that we would be set ablaze by the glory of Jesus Christ. That we would no longer try to stand as, as close as we can to the world, but that we would be driven faster and closer to Jesus as we go through our daily lives. That is one of the major goals of this sermon series as we've learned what distinguishes a believer, what describes a believer, what sets someone apart who is a follower of Jesus Christ from one who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. Remember this sermon, it was preached by Jesus to his disciples, and you and I are his disciples today. It has been incredibly challenging and encouraging, and as we continue this morning, we are going to be looking at some ingredients for a healthy prayer life. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Um, you know, didn't Jesus just talk about this Um, Didn't just a few weeks ago we talk about this, and now we're going to talk about this again, this idea of prayer? Well, this isn't something that we can just automatically know and understand, but we have to keep coming back. We have to keep learning and growing in it, and what it means for us to be believers and and to be people of prayer. You know, uh, going out to eat as a family these days can be quite an interesting experience. You can go out to a restaurant and they're spreading the tables out all over the place and they don't have as many seats as they used to. Sometimes you only have like six or five or six people sitting at a table and that's all that they allow. And so if you have a group or uh, your family is bigger than that, then they split you up into multiple groups and separate you all over the place. 
Sometimes you have to make reservations just to get into a particular restaurant. Of course, uh, some restaurants still aren't even open. They probably never will open again. And even after all of that, if you are able to get into a restaurant, you're able to actually go out to eat, it is going to cost you, I mean, quite a bit more than it used to just a year and a half ago. And uh, many of you are experiencing that. So uh, we don't go out to eat together a whole lot as a family these days. But when we do, I've noticed that things are uh, just kind of, I've noticed something that's a bit odd and and actually kind of sad. That, That everybody is either looking past the people who are at their table, at the screen that's on the wall, or they're looking down at the screen that's in their hands. And so... No one at the table is actually communicating or talking with each other. And and what I want to say is, you know, wow, if you just took a little time to notice some of the people around you, maybe you'd actually enjoy their company, you'd enjoy being with them. But I remember being at a restaurant one day uh, not too long ago, and it was kind of awkward. There was a, a man who was sitting there at the table. He had two kids with him, and uh, he's staring at his phone the entire time. And the kids, they're just staring back at him. They, they get their food. He's still staring at, their phone, at his phone. They're still staring at him. And at some point, one of the kids is trying to get the attention of their dad. And so the dad is just sitting there. He's still sitting there, looking, staring at this phone that's in his hand. And this kid says, hey, dad. Hey, dad. Dad. And finally, the guy takes his phone. He slams it down and he says, What? What do you want? And I wanted to say to him, you, stupid, he wants you. Don't you see? He is trying to get your attention right now. But you're way too busy with whatever it is that's going on in your own little world to stop and to look at him. He wants you. He wants you to look at him. He wants you to talk to him. That's what he wants most of all right now. Now, in our world today, it feels like there is always something that is distracting us, always something that is pulling our attention away. But we need to understand that when it comes to the issue of prayer, God is never distracted. He is never annoyed by you. He is never too busy with his job. He is never on his phone and can't hear you. Instead, when God's kids call, he is ready and waiting. He is there and he is listening And that's what we're going to see today as we look at some ingredients for a healthy prayer life. Your Bible's open in front of you, Matthew chapter uh, 7. We're going to begin by reading verses 7 through 11, then we'll come back and talk about it. You can follow along. Here's what Jesus says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to, one, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The first word, the first ingredient that I want to give you here this morning is this word participation. 
participation. Again, Jesus says there in verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This whole phrase here is given as a command. It's not a suggestion. It is not a question. Jesus is commanding his disciples. He's commanding you and me to ask, to seek, to knock. And he is saying, I want you to participate in prayer. Now, I ask myself, why does Jesus ask us to pray? We, we know from previous studies in Matthew chapter 6 that God already knows what we need before we even ask him. So we, we don't pray in order to inform God about what's going on. <clears throat> and we don't pray in order to give instructions to him to impress him also, in Matthew chapter 6, we, we read about how that we're not to use vain repetition in our prayers. So, so then why is Jesus asking us, telling us to participate in prayer? Well, I, I think that one of the main reasons is because he wants us to be invited. He wants to be invited into our lives. This prayer is a prayer that invites the Heavenly Father to come in uh, to be uh, involved in our lives, to be one together with us as we share life with each other. If you read through the Gospels, one of the things that you'll notice is that Jesus himself has this habit of personal prayer. That, that oftentimes you, you read about Jesus withdrawing from the crowds and even from his disciples to go and pray. Uh, he, he prayed on the mountaintop, he prayed in the desert, he prayed in the garden, he prayed on the cross. And the Bible says that he is even praying right now for you and me. His life was bathed in prayer and he knows how important it is for our spiritual growth and maturity. Which I think is one of the reasons why prayer is mentioned here multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount. Prayer is important. We'll we'll never be any stronger spiritually than our uh, prayer life allows. It's been said that seven days without prayer makes one week. Now, I know that this might be a little early in the day for you to catch this, but let me say this again. Seven days without prayer makes one week. Kind of catchy, right? (laughs) Well, well, God, uh, Jesus rather, repeats this idea in verse 8 when he says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, I see two things that are being implied here from this invitation to participate in prayer. First, it implies that we have access to the Father. Jesus is asking us to pray, which means that we have direct access to God. Now, we know this. Romans chapter one verses, or chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Or what about Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18? For through him we both have access to one spirit, uh, in one spirit to the Father. What's so great about God is that he is approachable. Unlike your favorite superstar athlete that you watch play on TV or maybe that you get to actually go and watch a game in person every now and then and see them play, but... 
you will never get the chance to actually talk to them. Like, you, you will never get their phone number and actually go and, and hang out there at their house or something like that. That's not going to happen. But that's not the case with us, for us with God. We can boldly go before the throne. The veil has been torn in two. We have access to the Father. We can uh, actually participate in prayer. What an amazingly glorious fact that is implied here in this statement of, from Jesus. But there's a second thing here that's implied, and, and that is that we need to be aware of our need. We need to be aware of our need. <clears throat> you see, Jesus knows that, that we often forget that we cannot do things on our own in life. The greatest problem in your life is not that you have unanswered prayer. It's that you have unoffered prayer. It's often our pride that keeps us from prayer. Kind of like when you were growing up and you were going on that trip and your dad is driving the car and you get lost. But is he actually going to stop and ask for some directions? No, that's not going to happen. The same kind of thing is true with us at times with our prayers, that it is our pride that keeps us from asking. And so when we become aware of our need, Jesus says, participate in prayer. You need to recognize that you need help. <clears throat> Love the story of King Jehoshaphat. He's the fourth king of Judah, and he reigns during the time where there's a lot of turmoil in Judah and so there are all these other nations and they gather together and they come from the east and they are going to come up against Judah. And because there's a bunch of nations that have come together, there is a humongous army. And King Jehoshaphat is beside himself. He is thinking, you know, how are we going to defend ourselves? We're going to just get crushed here. We're going to get absolutely obliterated. Well, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, we read this beautiful prayer from King Jehoshaphat and at the end of the prayer, we read this in verse 12. It says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? Speaking of the nations that were coming against them. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You see, prayer attacks pride. Here, here's this king. He's got power, he's got authority, he has this army of people that he commands, but he says, listen guys, I don't know what to do, but guess what, we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord, we're going to fix our eyes on him. Friends, prayer attacks pride, it attacks self-assurance, it attacks self-confidence. It allows us to admit, look, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I am aware that I have a great need. And so, Father, I want to participate in prayer to you. I'm going to ask and seek and knock. What's so interesting to me is that we are quick to pull out our phones and to ask uh, Alexa or say, okay, Google. We ask, ask Google, we ask Alexa all, all sorts of questions. But why is it that we take so long to bend the knee and to go talk to the Heavenly Father? There is a problem. We think that we can do it on our own, but we need to participate in prayer. There's a second ingredient to a healthy prayer life that I want you to consider here this morning, and that is that, that, uh, that of passion. Passion. Let's look at verse 7 and 8 there. and You, 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 know, you just uh, kind of think about this, and there's this gradual 
increase in intensity. That you first ask, and then you seek, and then you uh, knock. And, and I know that um, j- just thinking about that word uh, seek for a moment here, it means to search or to crave after something. Even a, a greater understanding of that word means to crave after something until you have finally been satisfied by finding it. To search until you find wonder if that is the way that your prayer life could be described, that you have a passion and a desire to talk to God. There's a man, an old English Puritan by the name of Thomas Brooks. He was a preacher in the 17th century, and he said this, and we're going to put it up on the screen. He said, cold prayers always freeze before they reach heaven. Cold prayers always freeze before they reach heaven. I think about how our prayers can just lack passion, that they're cold and indifferent and uh, uninterested in many ways. But Jesus tells us that we are to seek. And when, uh, when, when I think about that, I think about two things. First of all, I think about value. I think about worth. That we search for things that are valuable. You're familiar with the parable that Jesus told of the merchant who went to seek for this pearl of great price. This guy searches day in and day out. He scours the hillsides. He goes to the marketplaces. He's looking for this precious pearl of great price. When he finally finds it, what does he do? Well, he goes and he takes everything that he has and he sells it in order that he could get that pearl. My question to you is, is that how you come to God in prayer? As though you are searching for something of infinite value, a treasure. Is that how you come before the Father? Seeking Him as something that is of great importance and great significance and great worth. Brought something along with me here this morning. It's a metal detector. Um, If you aren't really familiar with this or what this thing does, uh, you take this out, maybe you go to your backyard, or maybe um, you take it to the beach or something like that, and you go search for precious metals with this thing. And the hope is that you'll find something of value that somebody else maybe has lost. And so you take it out, and you uh, take this thing, and you kind of start scouring the ground with it. And you you find something in the area maybe that you that you're hovering over, and it starts beeping at you, and then you know that there's something there. Maybe you find a ring or a necklace, or maybe coins that somebody has lost, or a watch, or something like that. And so um, this isn't mine, but uh, people who are very committed to these metal detectors, what they'll do is they'll they'll go and they'll try to search in these special locations where it's believed that. Maybe there's something of great value, that there's a treasure buried there. And so at times, people have actually found some pretty valuable things with these uh, metal detectors. For me, um, I only used one of these once, ever. And and I was out there kind of uh, just scanning the ground with it. But I never was able to find anything, nothing. Until I actually took some change out of my pocket and threw it on the ground. And then I started finding things, right? But, but to be quite honest, I, I, I never really expected that I was going to find something of any value with this when I used it. Well, um, you know, that, that's what, what I think a lot of times 
we, we have, that, that, that's the way that we uh, think about God here. And when we think about this second word here, um, the word passion, do, do you come to the Father with that kind of an attitude of, you don't expect that anything is going to happen? Do you come with some kind of expectation when you pray? You notice again what Jesus says here in verse 7 and 8. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be open. It's these promises of finding what you're looking for. Of asking and receiving what you've asked for. Of seeking what, what, what you're, you're looking for and, and actually finding it. Finding it out. Knocking on the door and having that door opened up to you. I think that a lot of times we pray as if we don't expect that anything like that is going to happen in our prayer lives. But what, 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 what kind of prayer is that? That you pray without even expecting anything to happen. When, when I think about this, I, I think about one of the events that took place in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. And the context there is that the apostle James has been killed by Herod. Now Peter, and one of the great pillars of the church, is in prison. He has two guards who are chained to him at all times. One on each arm. And he is in this fortified, gated prison system. Well, uh, this is going on and the church is meeting together and they are praying. And they're praying that Peter would be released. They're praying that that he'd be set free. Well, God sends this angel to Peter there in prison. Peter thinks he's dreaming. Chains fall off. The gates open up. The angel leads Peter right out of the prison. And, And Peter's in civilian life again, back out on the streets and he comes to his senses and he goes to the house of a woman by the name of Mary where the church is gathered together and is praying for him. And he knocks on the door and here's what happens as we read this. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, it says this. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, the people who were praying for Peter to be released, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Are you sure? I mean, you're seeing things. You've got to be seeing things. Verse 16. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. I mean, they didn't expect this to happen. Here they are. They are praying that he would be released. And Peter is standing right there. And they did not expect him to be standing there. Here here they are. They're in this prayer meeting. They're praying that Peter would be set free. They did not believe this was happening. And isn't that the way that we pray sometimes? That we pray but we are amazed we're shocked that our prayers are even answered that's not coming with expectation that's not asking and knowing that we're going to receive seeking and knowing that we're going to find knocking and knowing that the door is going to be open friend this is what christ teaches us this is what he desires of us a passion in our prayers philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God promises to supply all of our needs. And so we come with passion in our prayers. The third ingredient of a healthy prayer life is persistence. Persistence. Again, verse 7. We mentioned a moment ago that this was written as a command, but this is not just a one-time deal. This is not just a one-time command. The idea here is to keep on doing it. And you read it like this, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And this is a continual idea of persistence. I think about this idea of knocking that you go to somebody's door, maybe you knock a little bit on it. And they don't answer. And so you knock a little harder. And they still don't answer. And so you knock even harder. Finally, they come to the door. It's this idea of sticking at it, of persisting in prayer. For some reason, persistent prayer is pleasing to God. You might remember the parable of the persistent widow who goes to the judge time after time after time after time until he finally hears her out. The parable of the friend who comes at midnight to his neighbor asking for some bread and says, Hey, you know what? I, I, I've got some people at my house and we need some food. I need to feed them. And, and, and finally, the, he persists in this. And finally, the friend, the neighbor comes and gives some bread to him. Persistent prayer pleases the father. Now, I was thinking about this a little bit. And I think uh, I thought about a, a couple of reasons why. First, persistent prayer proves our passion. Persistent prayer proves our passion. I always think that it's interesting how my kids will act when they really, really, really want something. Maybe it's a toy. Maybe it's a pair of shoes. Maybe it's some clothes. Maybe it's a a video game or whatever it might be. But you know what? They, they, They find all of these ways to kind of subtly bring it up to me in conversation so that I'll take them to the store and they can look for this particular thing that they want so badly. And I'm convinced that sometimes my kids are all working together. They're trying to come up with this master plan in order to break me down all so that I can get them this thing that they want so badly. They're always, they keep asking and asking and asking until finally I say, okay, all right, fine. It's the same way with our Heavenly Father. How often do we shoot out these one-time little prayers like, hey, Lord, I'd really love it if you did this. And then we just never mention it again. Persistent prayer proves our passion. It proves that, Lord, this is something that I truly desire. This is something that I I am desperate for. I really want this to happen. And so I'm going to keep knocking on the door of heaven day in and day out, week in and week out, month after month, year after year. I'm going to persistently pray. And that proves our passion. There, but it also deepens our devotion. It deepens our devotion. There's something about the ritual, the routine of persistent prayer that deepens the devotion of the spiritual child of God. Kind of like a plow that makes this same path over and over and over again, digging down deeper into the ground, deeper into creating this kind of rut. And, and it's, there's just something about persistent prayer that deepens our devotion to God. Now, you might say, well, why do I need to persistently pray? The answer is because sometimes the answer is delayed. 
Sometimes God, in his infinite knowledge, in his infinite wisdom, delays answering our prayers. You see, sometimes we pray and the answer is direct, it is immediate, it's something that happens right away. At other times, the answer is maybe a little different. It's not what it is that we were expecting to have happen, or it is delayed. And it's in those times that we can grow closer to the Lord and that we are strengthened in our faith as we persist in prayer. You think about all of this and you might ask the question, well, how long does the Lord want me to pray? How long should I persist in this? Now, I know I shared this a a few weeks ago when we talked about the Lord's Prayer. And uh, really, though, I like this and I want to share it again. And it's this acronym PUSH. P-U-S-H. Push prayers. Pray until something happens. How long do you pray? Well, you push through. You pray until something happens. That either God gives you what it is that you're asking for, or He says no, but you pray as long as you need to. You stick at it. You stick with it. You push through it. Now, What Jesus says here is not really hard to understand. It's not complicated. It's not difficult to figure out. But I think that there are that that that, that's where the challenge comes in. That uh, it's experiencing these desires that go unfulfilled. It's uh, prayers that seem to go unanswered. And, And this brings us to a crisis in our lives. We might start thinking, you know, do I have this lack of faith in my life? Is there something wrong with me? I don't know what's going on. Friends, this is what brings us to the fourth ingredient. And the fourth ingredient of a healthy prayer life is that we need to have the right perspective. Have the right perspective. Look with me again at verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, gives him a stone... Or if he asks him for fish, we give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, good things to those who ask him? The point is pretty clear here. The earthly fathers of our lives, they know how to give good gifts, right? No earthly father is going to give his son a stone if he asked him for a piece of bread. No earthly father is going to give his son a, a, a snake if he asked for a fish. I mean, you don't even have to be a very good father to know that that, 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 that to know better than that, right? We, we know how to give good gifts. In fact, in your life, you can think back and you can remember some of the good gifts that you got. You can remember something that you were super, super excited about. Maybe it came from your mom. Maybe it was from your dad. Maybe it was a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or something like that. For for me, my parents bought me my first car. And it was a black 1991 Ford Taurus. The previous owner had smoked in that thing. And you could not get the the smoke smell out of that. No matter what we tried to do, could not get it out. There was nothing really flashy about that car, but it got me around, got me to where I needed to go, and I love that car. I remember that gift and how excited I was about it. Here's the point. This is what Jesus says in verse 11. 
If you then, who are evil, meaning you who are a sinner, you who wrestle with the flesh, who struggle with wickedness, who don't know what you're doing, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Friends, these are the words of Jesus. You are a finite, frail, sinful, wicked father, and yet you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father who is in heaven, who is all-knowing, all, uh, all, who, uh, who is holy and righteous and perfect in every way, how much more will he give good gifts to the children who ask him? Friends, that, that's a promise right there. And that's where we need to have the right perspective. God gives good gifts. Sometimes it is exactly what it is that we've asked for. Sometimes it's not. And that's where the test comes in. Do, you, do, do we think that we know best or that God knows best? Do, do we trust Him to give us the best of gifts? The fact is that I am glad that God has not always answered my prayers. In my humanity, in my immaturity, I have asked for things that God has denied, but He has chosen a better thing. And sometimes He says no now to, so, so that He can say yes later. The question is, Do you have the perspective to see that? Do do we believe that he is a good father? Do we believe that he knows what's best? Do we believe that he would never ever give us anything that would not benefit us? Do we believe those things about Jesus? And if so, if we place our trust in the good father, knowing that he gives good gifts, then we will ask and we will seek and we will knock knowing that he is the one who gives the good stuff. And even though it might not always line up with what it is that we're asking for, we need to have the right perspective to say, Lord, you know what's best. I surrender, to, uh, I surrender what I think to what you think. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 say this, And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Phillips, Philip Brooks, he's best known probably for writing O Little Town of Bethlehem. But he says this, and we're going to put it up on the screen. He says, nothing lies outside of the reach of prayer except that which lies outside of the will of God. Friends, we have the incredible privilege of participating in prayer to the Father. Maybe you're here this morning and that's just what you need to be encouraged with. That you need to be encouraged to have some more passion in your prayer life. Maybe you started out this year and you were thinking, you know what, I'm going to commit to praying each and every day. I'm going to be on my knees. I'm going to be seeking the Lord. I'm going to be doing what it is that he wants me to do. And now we're a little bit more than halfway through the, the year. And you're, you're, uh, this idea of seeking the Lord in prayer is kind of a distant memory to you. Well, it's never too late to once again come to the foot of the cross and to say, Lord, would you help me to once again have a passion for prayer? Help me to seek you as something of great worth and of great value. Help me to come to you with this expectation of knowing that you're going to answer. Maybe you're here this morning and the thing that you really need to be encouraged in is to persist in your prayer. To keep on going. 
When I think about that, I think about Joshua in the Old Testament. Here he is, he's leading the, the people of Israel, and when they march around the city of Jerusalem, Jericho uh, six days in a row. And what if they would have stopped after the sixth day? What if he would have said, hey, you know what? God, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't look like the stones are really moving all that much. There are all these people uh, from Jericho who are standing on the walls and just laughing at us. And you know what? This is a big city. I mean, we had to walk around this thing already six times. This is crazy. If Joshua would have stopped after the sixth day, he and the people would have missed out on an incredible miracle that God did on the seventh day when he brought the walls down and defeated their enemies. And that's true for us too. We need to keep praying and not to give up, to persist in seeking after the Lord until he gives us an answer. Jesus says that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, we will have the door open to us because we are coming to a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Let's pray.